Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday service of Free Community Church. Thank you for joining us this week. And for those of you joining us online, we're so glad to have you with us as well. As you can see, it's a special Sunday once again. Uh, we have our worship team on stage with us today, and we're also joined by my two kids, Sophia and Emmett. So we're really glad to bring you live worship today, and we're planning to do this at least once a month for the next few months. Um, so let's take a moment to greet one another. Uh, if you're on site, you can turn to your neighbor and give them a wave. Uh, if you're online, you can type into the chat uh, greeting, and our moderators will also be online to um, respond to your comments. So I don't know how your week has been. Maybe it's been a good week. Maybe it's been a tough week. But whatever you've been going through, this is a moment for us to still our hearts, to really connect with God, and to remember God's love for us. So please stand as you're willing and able and join me in the call to worship. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us be glad this day for life, for breath, and for freedom to worship. Blessed are you who come in the name of the Lord. We come to bring our gifts of praise and gratitude to the God of all creation. God is good, and in God's work we find our strength. Let us sing of all God's wonderful works let us give thanks and praise to the Lord. So please remain standing and let's join our hearts and voices together in a time of worship. Just a reminder to those on site, we have to sing with our masks on, but we can sing. So let's enjoy. Thank you. you today to pray for the people of the Ukraine and Russia. Let's send our prayers and blessings to them through this song.
His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you. God is with you, God is with you. In the morning, in the evening, in your coming, in your going, in your weeping and rejoicing, God is for you, God is for you. Let's sing. Good morning, church. How are you today? <laughs> Amen. So I've got two pieces of good news. One's the long weekend, there's rest, there's celebrations. And another piece of good news is that we serve a wonderful God. Amen? Okay. A God of love and a God of grace. So let's sing the next song. Wonder.
Have you ever seen the wonder in the glimmer of a sight? As the eyes began to open, the blindness meets the light. If you have so say, I see the world in light. I see the world in wonder. I see the world in life. First in the living color, I see the world your way, and I'm walking in the light. Have you ever seen the wonder in the air of second life? Yes, you can clap. Mm -hmm. Have you come out the waters with the old one left behind? If you have so say, I see the world in light, I see the world in wonder, I see the world in life, burst in a living color, I see the world your way, and I'm walking in the light, and I see the world in grace, I see the world in grace, I see the world in gospel, I see the world your way. And I'm walking in the light And I'm walking in the wonder You're wondering the wild Turning wilderness to wonder If you have so say I see the world in love I see the world in freedom I see the Jesus way you're wondering the while Don't stop clapping Let's go I see the world your way I'm not afraid to follow I see the world your way And I'm not ashamed to say so I see the Jesus way And I'm walking in the light I see the world in light, I see the world in wonder, I see the world in life, burst in a living color, I see the world your way, and I'm walking in the light, and I see the world in grace, I see the world in grace, I see the world in gospel, I see the world your way. And I'm walking in the light I'm walking in the wonder You're wondering the wild Turn the wilderness to wonder If you have so say I see the world in love I see the world in freedom I see the Jesus way You're wandering the wild Turning wilderness to wonder You're wandering the wild And you're turning with the wonder Amen, amen Let's give God a praise offering
Let us pray together. Living God, long ago, faithful women proclaimed the good news of Jesus' resurrection, and the world was changed forever. Teach us to keep faith with them, that our witness may be as bold, our love as deep, and our faith as true. Open our eyes so that we may truly see and help our hearts understand not only who you are, but what you do for us, and also who we are and what you are calling us to do so that your kingdom may be established here on earth. Open our hearts to your spirit moving around us, between us, within us, until your glory is revealed in our love for both friend and enemy, in communities transformed by justice and compassion, and the healing of all that is broken. Amen. pieces broken and scattered and mercy gathered mended and whole empty handed but not forsaken I've been set free I've been set free
Please be seated. Wow, isn't it wonderful to be able to come together to worship the living God? I am so glad that you're here with us this morning for this time of worship and now as we go into the Word together. And I just want to say a big, huge shout out of gratitude to the worship team, the production teams, our beautiful welcome team, and every person that makes this hybrid Sunday service possible. Can we just give them a round of applause? It's really, truly so wonderful to be able to gather together to join our voices and our hearts and lift our eyes to worship the risen Christ on this second Sunday of Easter. A big welcome home to you if you're also joining us for the first time, whether you're here physically in church or whether you're joining us online right now or watching this sometime later in the week. We're really so grateful that you have made the time to join us to worship and receive the ministry of the Word together. And so you can see here on the screen that one way we can all contribute to today's sermon and learn from one another 
is using menti.com. So if you have your phone handy, today you have got three ways to do this. The first way is to open up your browser and go to menti.com and enter today's code, which is 919191847. If you don't want to punch in you know, these numbers and fiddle with that, the other way you can join is to just scan the QR code on the screen. And today we're going to try out a third easy way, which is you can also go to the, your browser and just type in fcc.la slash menti, and you'll be able to join today's menti session and hopefully every menti session in the weeks and months to come and contribute your thoughts anonymously to today's sermon. In this season of Easter, we are learning from different encounters with the risen Christ as we follow the lectionary readings in this season. Last week, we looked at Jesus' meeting with Thomas, if you remember, and how doubt is actually essential to growing in faith. Today, we're going to be meeting Saul or Paul. So what's the difference? Saul is actually the Hebrew name, and Paul was the Latin name which he preferred to be known by later on. And today we're going to be meeting up with Saul to see what we can learn from that encounter on that road to Damascus where Saul meets the risen Christ. So rather than hearing from me all the time, and we want to get our next generation of members and leaders more involved in our Sunday services, I would like to invite Sophia to come up in a moment to read us the word this morning. And as she reads this Easter encounter, I would like to invite you to picture each scene as the story unfolds. So would you please give her a round of applause to encourage her as she comes to read the scripture for us. Today's Bible reading is from Acts 9, 1 to 20. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him to the, by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house uh, of Judas on Straight Street and ask for, the, for a man of, from Tyrus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all of the, all of the harm he has done to, the whole, to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with his disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Thank you. Thanks, Sophia, for reading the scripture for us uh, this morning. We seem to have a um, technical fault, uh, so just give us a moment as we just set up the slides again properly. So, while we are waiting for the slides to come back on, would you join me in a word of prayer? Dear God, we give you thanks for this morning where we can gather together to worship the resurrected Christ, the living God. And this morning, God, I just pray that as you have appeared before Saul, appeared before Thomas and the disciples, that we will have our own encounter with the living God this morning. God, help us to be able to see you in the pages of Scripture, to hear your voice, to hear the breath of the Holy Spirit move among us this morning, to inspire us, to encourage us, and to challenge us to grow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, it looks like we are all set. This passage of Scripture is such a well-known story of a personal encounter with God that changed the course of Saul's life. I hope you remember the scenes that Sophia has read for us. And we are going to go through this to see how the living word encourages and challenges us on our own faith journey. So we're going to begin with the first act. We meet Saul here at the beginning of the story, breathing murderous threats against the disciples. The disciples are the, earlier, the early followers of Jesus. But you know that actually in the chapters before this, Saul didn't just threaten them, he actually participated in the stoning, in the murder of one of the disciples, Stephen. Saul came from a very religiously conservative Jewish background. His family came from many generations of Pharisees. They were a very rule-based, very ritualistic, conservative movement within Judaism. And you can see here on the screen that later on, in his letter to the Galatians church, he wrote that his mission then was to advance his understanding of Judaism. And he was very zealous or very passionate of this mission of being faithful to God. And the way that he understood what he needed to do and what was his responsibility in response to this was to protect the understanding of the truth at all costs, the truth from his own perspective. So he made it his goal to 
pursue the followers of Jesus and, to, and pursue the early church to make sure that they were persecuted and destroyed. Saul's life and the decisions he was making then was literally heading in the wrong direction that God wanted him to go. It was the same scripture, worshipping the same God, but he, was, he had a totally different and in this case, completely wrong understanding of what was required of him. You know, Myak spoke last week about the times when he was so sure that he was right about the direction that he was going when he was giving directions when he was on his travels, even though he was heading in the wrong direction the whole time. We could be very faithful and sincere, but we could be also sincerely wrong. And so God needed to get Saul's attention. And so we pick up the story here in verse 3, and it says that as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And here we see, like we saw with Thomas last week, Jesus appearing to Saul. But unlike Thomas and Jesus' appearances to all of the 12 disciples, there is something very different about this encounter. While Saul and his companions all heard the voice of Jesus, it was only Saul, Saul here who sees the light flashing around him. And it's very interesting because this is the first time in Scripture that Jesus appears not in the form of a body, but as light. This encounter goes against everything Saul was taught. You see, if you remember back at Saul's background, the Pharisees wanted to keep God locked up in the Holy of Holies. They believed that if you wanted to encounter the presence of God, you needed to be a priest and go through the ritual of cleansing and making yourself right before God before you can enter the holiest of holy places to encounter God and to intercede for God's people. But God showed the world on Good Friday that the veil, this large heavy curtain that separated the holy of holiest place in the temple was ripped in two. And now everyone, everyone could experience God who was always with them and all the way to the end of the age. And Paul here was experiencing just that. The God who comes to him and appears to him, not locked up in the Holy of Holies. So as we think about Paul's encounter, I wonder, how has the living God appeared to you? This is today's first question that I'd like to invite you to respond to. And while you're entering your responses, I'll share with you two of mine. I grew up in a Christian family, but my first experience of really meeting God was many, many years later during the times of worship when I was in my early 20s. As I sang to the music as we did earlier this morning, I felt like I was being lifted up, wrapped in love, and having love poured into my heart until it was overflowing. 
And that's why I love to worship to music. And I got involved in the music ministry so that others would be able to have an encounter with God in a similar way. God appears differently to each one of us, just as God appeared differently to Saul. It could be in a time of prayer and meditation. And yet for others, it could be while experiencing beauty of creation or having a mountaintop experience or even in an everyday moment with the people that they have around them. I remember Zhao sharing with me once an experience that we had and shared together while attending Hillsong Conference in Australia. During an altar call of one of the sessions, he asked God to show him God's face. And what God did was to show him a vision of the faces of every person placed in his life who loved him. And in that same moment, I asked God for the same. And God gave me a vision of Jesus turning down a dark street and inviting me and beckoning me to come follow him. Let's see your responses of how God has appeared to you. Some of you said that prayers, when things work out, in the darkness, with, through music and through people, through encounters where you were supernaturally protected, where you were spoken to in your own personal slough of despondence, through that feeling of warmth, clear thought and gifts, voice that cleared your doubt, times of provisioning and blessing, in worship and the people you meet. God speaks to you and reasoned with you, appears to you in your everyday through the beautiful souls you get to encounter and the small moments that sometimes catch you off guard. That is so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for the responses. So just as the risen Christ appears to us, the resurrected Christ appears to the disciples then, especially when God wants to get our attention. Sometimes it's also about taking a moment to recognize that it's actually God who is with us. Just like Saul had to ask, who are you, Lord? Because it could be so different from what we imagined that it would happen. So let's get back to the story and see what happens next. Saul gets up from meeting with Jesus, but then loses his natural sight for three days. And then his companions had to hold his hand and lead him the rest of the way into Damascus. You know, I've often wondered, why would God afflict Saul with blindness? Does God harm people? While I was preparing for this sermon, and I was thinking about this question, I read this amazing book called The Four Pivots, Reimagining Justice, Reimagining Ourselves, by Dr. Sean Ginwright. And I'm going to be... I borrowed this book and I found it in our Singapore National Library's digital catalogue. And it's just been an amazing book. And one of the things that I've learned from this book is that having true sight, really being able to see, can only begin when we take our eyes off what we see in the natural and then start the hard work of looking within ourselves. You see, Paul, in this case, was very focused at the task he was very passionate about, right? Which was persecuting the followers of Jesus. 
we read earlier, and Sophia read for us, that he was looking out for them on his journey to Damascus to arrest them and have them handed back in Jerusalem and brought back to Jerusalem as prisoners. Saul's encounter with Jesus creates a situation where he loses his natural sight and is forced to stop what he had to do, what he was going to do. And then what could he do in the meantime when he was lost the very thing that he was trying to do? All he could do is to allow his friends to guide him towards Damascus and for three days take his time to be with his thoughts, to look inward for a time of reflection. Before we get into exploring why spending time to look inward, to reflect, is important, I want to ask you, have you thought about how often you set aside time for reflection? Maybe let's just get a little straw poll going here on Mentee. How often do you set aside time for reflection? Once a day? At least once a week? Once a month? Once a year? You know, this is anonymous, so I hope that you can be honest here. So we've got a good spread coming up. Thank you all for your responses. And you can see here that some of us um, set aside time at least once a day for reflection, but the most common answer and the response here is at least once a week, with a lot of people also um, coming in at once, at least once a month. Thank you all for, for sharing um, your very honest reflections here. And you see now, once a day has dropped to third place. But according to, <laughs> well, according to Dr. Sean Ginwright's research, he says a few things about reflection. Reflection allows us to get underneath the hood and explore our motivations, our fears, dreams and insecurities, but from a place of curiosity. Reflection also helps us to uncover and begin understanding some of the wounds that pile up over time in our work, in our relationship, and with ourselves that we have been refusing to take a look at. You know, he says that when we don't take time to reflect, it is like not bothering to clean up our home of our hearts and our minds. And so the pile of laundry, dishes, and boxes in our head and in our hearts get bigger. And they become obstructions that actually become, and we can actually become oblivious of the clutter and the obstructions around us. And then we have this obstructed view that shows up in the way that we relate with ourselves and with other people. One of the ways that this shows up very problematically is through this idea of implicit bias. Implicit bias. So what's implicit bias? It is our unconscious attitudes that affect our understanding, our actions and our decisions about other groups of people. When we jump to conclusions and make assumptions because of implicit bias, we exclude and we hurt instead of including and healing. When we don't reflect, our obstruction spots begin to grow bigger and bigger, and ultimately it begins, it leads us to see the world from only one perspective, 
which is our perspective, and we make that the one and only truth. And that's what was happening here with Paul. He had an implicit bias against the disciples. His own perspective was completely wrong, and his actions sought out to exclude and hurt the disciples. Paul's loss of sight gave him a very, very important opportunity to stop and reflect on his present, to look back at his past and to imagine a future of what it could be based on that. And that gives him another level of sight, which is called true sight. True sight. So what is true sight? True sight is the real ability to see. And it actually involves a combination of three things, hindsight, foresight, and insight. And together, these forms of sight provide a more complete exploration of our world and understanding of our place in it. So what exactly is hindsight, foresight, and insight? You may have heard these words before, but I want to take a moment to help us to unpack this because it's so important for us to understand this. Let's begin first with hindsight. So hindsight is the process of reflecting on past events, dilemmas, experiences, conflict, and it invites us to draw lessons and new perspectives in the process. So here's an example, and I, I would like to invite you to, to, uh, to lean in a, a little bit with me. Help me to recall the last time that you had a conflict with someone. When did you have a disagreement? Could be this morning over something that, you know, somebody said to you on the way to church. Or it could be someone at work yesterday. Maybe it's a colleague or a friend that you have a disagreement with, your partner, a family member. Try to picture that scene that you had the last time that you had a conflict. Recall what happened. And I want to invite you to ask yourself a few questions. Ready? What contributed to that situation? Would I have done anything differently? What are the lessons or takeaways? And why is this an important lesson for me? What am I learning about myself that could help me in the future? Thank you for sitting with it and asking yourself these questions. I want to offer you a great tool for some of us that could be helpful to be able to build and gain hindsight. Some of you are already actually using it and it's actually the process of journaling. Journaling helps us to record and reflect on the situations and important moments throughout the day, but also helps us to remember what we have learned. I've put up a snapshot of the journal template of a friend who I think is like best practice, okay? I got his permission to share this with you as long as I didn't mention his name to show you that this actually is a tool that works for him. And I hope that this inspires you. 
inspires you to create and find a version that works for you. And you can see in this version, he gives himself cues to help him reflect throughout the day. So this is one of those people who are in the at least once a day bucket. Amazing structure, and I, I promise that these, um, the, this whole PDF is going to be available on our website so you don't have to whip up your phones to try to take a snapshot of it. For me, I'm not so structured. I do most of my journaling straight on my phone into Microsoft OneNote. And why do I do that? Because it allows me to search and reflect back on the notes I take over time, which helps me to understand then the situations and my responses. And then I capture what I've learned again when going through that process of reflection, and I also then add it to my OneNote journal which then becomes the inspiration for many sermons where I get to share what I've learned with all of you. See, God doesn't waste anything in the process. So that's how to gain insight. And a great tool to be able to do that is journaling. The second part of getting true sight is foresight. Foresight is directly connected to hindsight. Foresight is the capacity to imagine what is possible in the future. Foresight pushes us to embrace the lessons that we have had in the past in order to reimagine and create what we want for our lives and for the world, and whether this is aligned to the will of God or not. You see, true sight doesn't stop at hindsight. And if we stop at hindsight and get locked into it and never move past it, because sometimes the trauma and painful experiences from the past bind us there as we mull over it and we mull the anger, disappointment and pain. What happens is that when we do that, it then determines and predicts and becomes our future. And that's why foresight is so important. We have to learn from the past without it becoming our future. True sight means that we see with both hindsight and with foresight. We build foresight when we cultivate the ability to imagine, dream, and hope in one hand while holding our key lessons from the past in the other hand. And when you take time to reflect from the lens of foresight, some questions that are very helpful to ask yourself are these. How can my gift, talents, abilities, experiences contribute to God's will of shalom? What is a clear picture of things when I'm thriving? What is it going to take me to get there? And what am I like when I'm at my best? Four very important questions to ask to help us to gain foresight. And one tool I found for this to uh, that helps me to gain foresight is to create what I call a personal philosophy. What is a personal philosophy? This concept of a personal philosophy was conceived by psychologist and high-performance coach, Dr. Michael Gervais. You see him there in the Seahawks uniform, and anybody who knows the Seahawks knows that they are one of the football teams um, that's based out of Seattle, where he actually operates as a regular uh, you know, sports psychologist for them. And the personal philosophy asks us to reflect on our own values, the people we admire, what we want to influence our thoughts, words, and actions 
in a short statement of preferably less than 25 words of who you are when you are at your best self. Who you are when you are at your best self. Now, let's do a quick practice together as a thought starter. Ready? What words or phrases come to you when you are at your best self? What words or phrases come to you when you're your best self? Now, we don't have time to do the whole um, reflection exercise, but I'd like to invite you to put maybe a couple of words or phrase. Maybe it's connected to your purpose, how you want to show up. What are your most important values in action? You see, creating your personal philosophy will guide you in how you want to live, what you want your priorities to be, and creates clarity for yourself in how you want to make decisions. So let's see some of your contributions. Disciplined, calm, confident, other-centered, resilient, anointed and inspired by God, cheerleader, worthy, loving, passionate, empathetic, grateful, unselfish, outward-looking, kind, emptied of self, brave, compassionate, pouring all of myself outwards, forgiving, talkative, prepared, empathetic to yourself and to others. That's just amazing. You see, whether we have taken time to reflect on it or not, we've already all have a, person a personal philosophy that we operate out of. And when we live in alignment with these values, we are at our best. Our personal philosophy changes as we grow and, uh, and transform over the years. And I've been doing this exercise for quite a few years now, and mine has changed many times over the years as I learn about myself and as I grow. So I want to be able to share with you my version of who I am when I'm at my best self. This is after many iterations and much reflection, and this gives me clarity of sight of how I want my future to look like. So this is Gary's personal philosophy, and it is to inspire everyone to understand and care for one another and creation towards restoring a just and loving world where everyone can live out their best lives authentically. Now, this is very vulnerable, right? Because this is literally who I say I want to be and who I am when I'm at my best self and how I want to show up with others, and how I want to act in the world. And Dr. Gervais goes one step further. He then encourages people to share this with other people who you're in community with. So if you're in a cell group, maybe one of the things you can consider doing is to do this activity together and share your personal philosophy with one another. This builds greater understanding and deepens relationships between the people you share it with because they get to know what you are about and where your actions come from. And also, the other benefit of community is that these are the people who are going to hold you accountable when you live outside of your personal philosophy. So they're there to challenge and encourage you. 
along in, on your journey of growth. So we have covered two elements of true sight so far. Hindsight and foresight. You see how different they are and how important that they are? But there is a third element of true sight, and that is insight. With hindsight and foresight in each hand, what insight does is to give us perspective for the journey. Insight is standing back to observe and understand ourselves as we go through experiences in the present. Insight allows us to sit with uncertainty, be calm in the middle of storms of life, lean into the discomfort of conflict, and respond thoughtfully instead of reacting in that moment. Insight is wisdom in action. Wisdom in action. And scripture says it like this. Proverbs 4 says, Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all that you have, get understanding. So some questions to help us to draw on wisdom to gain insight in a, when we are in a difficult situation can include, what is triggering me in this moment? What is causing me to feel or react in this way? What else do I need to understand about this situation? What would, could, and should I be doing to respond? Four very, very important questions to ask ourselves. And you know, insight is perhaps the most difficult, but yet the most important site to build because it requires us to build our capacity to observe ourselves in the grips of conflict, in the grips of tension and oppression, while drawing on wisdom gained from hindsight and foresight. So true sight really begins when we lose our natural sight. And having true sight happens through a process of reflection where we gain hindsight, foresight, and insight. Do you see that? How important that is. Now, let's take this, what we have just learned, and go back to the story and see what happens next when Saul gains true sight. When Saul loses his natural sight and was going through the process of reflection to gain true sight, there was actually another person in the same story who also sees Jesus in a vision, and that was Ananias. So very quickly, we're going to uh, read that section of the story again. And here we see what, uh, the encounter between God and Ananias. And picking up from verse 10, it says, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, 
This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my, ma- my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So we see here that Jesus asked Ananias to go to Saul to restore his sight. And while we don't know the tone of the passage, if you were Ananias, you would be triggered. Maybe it's in fear, maybe even hate. Jesus was asking him to go straight to the person who, has, who is either going to murder him or arrest him. Jesus is asking him to go straight to the person who has just had Stephen, his compatriot, stoned to death. And at that moment of tension and conflict, Ananias had to draw on his true sight, hindsight, foresight, and insight, to decide how is he going to respond? What is he going to do? Would he react in the natural, or would he respond from a place of true sight? And here we see Ananias decide to respond first by seeking some understanding. So he restates what Paul, Saul has been doing and listens to Jesus' response before then taking action. And despite his fears, despite how he feels about Saul, he goes to the place where Saul is staying. And in verse 17, it says here that Ananias ministers to Saul as a brother. His enemy, he ministers to as a brother. And that's the power of true sight at work. But let's read on and see what happens next. Ananias places his hands on Saul and something, the scripture says that something like scales, like obstructions, fall from Saul's eyes and he regains his vision. Now, as we read on the passage, do you see what is the very next thing that happens here? Instead of trying to figure out where he was, getting his bearings, instead of trying to figure out who just healed him, and trying to, instead of trying to look out for where's my friends or asking where the toilet is, the very first action Saul asked is to get baptized. You see, the process of losing his natural sight, going through a time of reflection, leading to gaining true sight, leads, Paul, leads Saul to repentance and to his transformation. You know, Pauline shared a couple of weeks ago, I think, and it's an important reminder that repentance or metanoia in the Greek is not about self-punishment. It is not about doing penance or not about showing God how unworthy and sorry you are. Metanoia or repentance means simply to stop what you're doing, to reflect and to change direction as a result of gaining true sight. And you can see here how reflection is actually built right into repentance. You cannot have repentance without reflection. And Saul realizes through this process of reflection that his zealousness really comes from a place of fear that if he gets something wrong, he too could be seen as not being faithful to the community that he belongs to. He didn't want to lose his belonging. He didn't want to lose his identity and his job and his power and his security. He didn't want to be found unrighteous and unworthy by God. Those are genuine fears that he had to wrestle through. 
But through the process of reflection and coming with it from an attitude of humility, curiosity, and vulnerability, Saul realizes that there's a better way to understand who is God and what his response should be. Saul realizes the implicit bias of what he had been taught and understanding begins to understand his own fears of losing community and his own identity of who he is. And he reflected on how he was being ministered and cared for by supposedly his enemy. And in that process of reflection, he gains true sight. He gains true sight. Saul would then later on encourage others to do the same. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he writes, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, our growth and transformation is tied to how we go through a continual renewal of our minds and to have it tested against God's will. That is metanoia. That is reflection at work. With true sight, Saul decides that his first act after regaining his sight would be to get himself baptized. And what is baptism? Baptism is a public commitment declaring now Saul of who Saul belongs to. Not to the Pharisees, but to Christ. What is baptism? But to dying of his old ways and being raised to new life with the risen Christ. And with true sight, Saul now takes the passion he has had, but it is now renewed and reframed towards preaching God's grace and love to all instead of policing God's law and judgment of all. We often refer to Damascus event as a one-moment single event conversion experience for Saul. But I want us to be able instead today to see that conversion instead is an ongoing process of transformation for all of us, for the salvation of the world, towards love and justice, towards peace and shalom especially in a time such as this, marked with such great lovelessness in the world. So as we close our time together today, I would like to ask us three questions. The first question is, today, what is God opening your eyes to see? Where is God asking you to gain true sight? Where are you on the wrong path? How is your implicit blind, uh, bias blinding you and causing you to breathe threats and, dis, and destruction instead of life, inclusion, and invitation? Where do you stand in need of metanoia, in, terms, in need of repentance today? Maybe some of us are like in the middle of Ananias' situation, being challenged to do something that is very uncomfortable and are thinking, are you sure, God? This person you have been asking me to approach is out to get me. I want to encourage you today that we don't change people. God does. When God is the agent of change, 
all things, as you can have read from this story, all things are possible. We get to participate in the experience and see God at work. We get to see God, how God works through us, but it is the Spirit of God who convicts the heart. So who is God opening your eyes to bring the light of God's love to? What is God opening your eyes to see? So some of your responses, let me read them. To serve God's people with more love. To look outward. To realize that God is looking at me with love. To be Christ's light. To see people. To patiently make changes. To see how I'm partaking in the will of God and to sit in it. To be at peace and embrace myself. To stop looking for men and start looking for God. (laughs) To be brave and support those who may persecute me. To love others unconditionally. To believe that I can be accepted and the doubts that come along with that. That I can be compassionate to myself and that it is possible. To reach the acceptance stage of grieving to walk by faith and not by sight, knowing that sometimes miracle takes time. To be sensitive to the needs of others. To see yourself as being part of a change. Nei-sing-de-ping-an. God wants me to acknowledge and repent of my pride at work. Thank you for all your contributions. For some of us, maybe you didn't contribute because you're not sure yet what you're supposed to see. Or maybe you want to experience greater spiritual growth in your life. You know, growth only happens when our minds are renewed and we then can experience transformation. And for this to happen, we need true sight. And to have true sight, we need to take the time to reflect so we can gain hindsight, foresight, and insight. So understanding now how important reflection is to growth, I want to ask you and invite you to make a commitment to stop and reflect more regularly. Now, this needs to be super intentional. So I put a question up there. How often will you commit to reflect intentionally? Now think about it as we have thought about how important it is to reflect. And we've shared tools just now, such as journaling to be able to gain foresight, or working once a year on your own personal philosophy, or stopping and committing to act with wisdom when you face a difficult situation. Without repentance, without stopping and reflecting, there can be no change in direction that comes from gaining true sight. And you can see now so many more of us are on the at least once a day. So thank you so much for your commitment. And finally, if you are new to this journey and haven't yet had your own encounter with the risen God, 
my prayer for you, my hope is that you will pause to pay attention at how God is revealing God's self to you. God is love. God is love. And I love the way that Father Richard Raw says that the people who know God well always meet a lover and not a dictator. And that is Paul's transformation. That was what he gained as in the process of reflection. And I pray that you too will encounter God this Easter through God's Word, through the faces of the people around you, through visions, through the embrace of God and worship, through the beauty of creation, and most importantly, through love. I'm going to invite um, Pastor Miak to come up and close us in a word of prayer. This is not usual. I don't usually close someone else's sermon. But Gary asked me to do it because he felt that someone else closing in prayer, in reflection, um, will give a different slant and different insight. And if you are with us on this journey all this while, there's a certain arc. What is required all this while, always, is to know that you are beloved. Because we don't always feel that way. And a lot of times we do not want to reflect. I've been going for therapy for about two years. Um, you know, after so long, finally. And it has helped me so much. But, be, but before getting there, I need to be able to accept and know that I'm beloved even though I'm flawed. It is about looking at what's going on in our lives with curiosity rather than judgment. But all around us, all the time, is judgment. We fear being wrong because we'll be judged. Saul fear being wrong because he was worried that he'll be judged. But what we know, what the cross stands for, is that you're loved. You can make mistakes and it's okay. Being wrong is okay. Staying wrong is not. Being wrong, it gives you the opportunity, you know, recognizing that you're wrong gives you the opportunity to change. But we need to first be, realize, oh no, we are heading the wrong direction. And accept that we are heading in the wrong direction. May you always hear that voice, not of judgment, but curiosity. Could I be going the wrong way? And know that God loves you and wants you to change direction so you can get on the right way. Let us pray. God, may we have willing hearts Willing hearts to risk. Willing hearts that are not afraid. Willing hearts that trust in your love for us. Trust so much that we're able to admit to ourselves, okay, we are wrong here. And God help us to change. Help us 
to love even the people who persecute us, even people who have hurt us, even people who have harmed us. Because your shalom requires that. Your shalom requires reconciliation of all people. Not seeing the other person as the enemy to be defeated, to be killed, to be conquered, but a sibling to be embraced. That is your shalom. That is your kingdom. No matter how much pain we might have gone through, God, your love can sustain us and help us work through that pain, transform that pain, so we no longer pass on that pain, but we become agents of healing because of that pain. You are the one who can transform all things. You are the one who transforms a torture device, a killing device, into the symbol of hope, a symbol of life, a symbol of love, a symbol of resurrection for all of us. We know that. So we, the people, will take up our cross and follow you. And what simpler personal philosophy that we can have but this from the prophet Micah who asked what is required of you but to do justice love mercy and walk humbly with God so God may your love fill us so that we no longer fear being wrong. we no longer afraid of what judgment people might have, but to align ourselves with you, with love, with justice, with mercy, and do that humbly all of our lives. Amen. We come to a time of communion. Now, we have now come to a time of communion. For those of you joining us online, now will be a good time to prepare your own elements that represent the bread and wine so that we may all uh, celebrate together. We gather each Sunday at this table. Even though at this time we are not all physically together, the table of God's feast transcends time and space because God's love transcends all boundaries. So this table recognizes no boundaries. Here at FCC, we celebrate an open table. This means you do not have to meet any criteria. You do not have to be a member of FCC. You do not have to be baptized. You only need to recognize that God's grace is sufficient. We are your people, God, called together in your love. We are your children, mother, called around the table of your word. 
We are your disciples, Lord, called to praise and give you thanks. Together, we, we thank, thank you, you, good, good and, and gracious, gracious God, for calling us to be your people, for giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands to touch and bless our world. Even as your people, God, we are separated from ourselves, each other, and you, the creator of life. Let us confess our brokenness. As people caught in our tradition, we confess that we have helped perpetuate systems that deny the dignity and sacred worth of all sorts and conditions of persons. We have paid lip service to equality. Our lives are based on discrimination of the other. We have been our own worst enemies. We have failed ourselves, others, and we have failed you, God. Moved by your power, we accuse ourselves because we have not allowed you to form us as a new people. We confess our sin and we pledge to work for reconciliation with one another. We thank you, gracious God, for forgiveness and the chance to start again. We thank you, gracious God, for the gift of your spirit given to us in Jesus, in whom we are freed from the past and its oppression, in whom the gift is complete. Gracious God, you are the mother of creation and the father of all life. We are gathered as your people to thank you for your blessing, to receive your mercy and forgiveness, and to remember how Jesus died for us, accepting death to show his love for us and you. We remember how Jesus came to us, becoming one of us, born like us, a flesh and blood and bone, a fully human person like us in all things but sin. We remember how, on the night before Jesus died, he gathered with his friends for one last meal. Siblings, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and the person who aligns with me hungers no more, ever. Anyone eating this bread will not die, ever. This is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, remember me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the harvest is sure to be abundant. I love you as I have loved. Abide in my love. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, remember me. May I now invite the stewards to come forward to distribute the elements. For those of you joining us for the first time, please hold on to the elements so that we may partake together.
together. Jesus, you are always present in our midst. You come to us simply, lovingly, humbly, in word and sacrament, in this bread and wine, and in the love we share with one another. Let us eat and drink of this bread and wine, remembering Jesus, his teaching, his life, suffering, his death, and his rising to new life. May now invite everyone to stand if you're willing and able to join me in the word of communion. Gracious and loving God, you have made us one in the body of Christ and nourish us at your table with holy food and drink. Thank you for feeding our hunger and relieving our thirst. With deep gratitude, we offer you our lives, our love, ourselves gathered in Jesus by your life-giving spirit. May we become a new people, wholly pleasing to you, a people giving glory to your name. Amen. Please be seated. So good morning, and welcome again to the Sunday service of Free Community Church, where free stands for First Realize Everyone's Equal. FCC is an inclusive church. That means you're welcome here regardless of your economic background, your theological background, your gender identity, your sexual orientation, or any of the other labels the world puts on you. So to all of those who worship with us regularly, and for those joining us for the first time, welcome home. My name is David, and I'm the service leader for today. So thank you, Gary, for the very inspiring sermon. I think we could all do with a little more reflection, maybe a little less of just endlessly scrolling through social media. The next time you're just scrolling, maybe think, maybe I should do a bit more reflection and gain some true sight. So let's all do that more. Um, so if this sermon has blessed you and you're watching online, please give our video a like, uh, subscribe to our channel so that you can get more of our um, videos. And if you're new to us, let's say you're joining us for the first time today, or you're watching our video for the first time online, we invite you to leave your details with us at fcc.la welcome, or you can scan this QR code, and then one of our pastors or staff will reach out to you, find out how we can better serve your needs, uh, even help you, welcome you into our community. We have a newcomers meeting at the end of every month, so the next one will actually be in May, um, but if you're interested in signing up, you can email info at freecomchurch.org. And now we'll continue to worship God with our giving, but because it's the uh, first of the month, we will have a financial update. So last month, we were a bit behind, and we put out a call to our members to see what we can do, and thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for stepping up to the, the call, and it looks like we've um, done very well in sort of catching up. So right now, we're about 3% behind uh, on the general fund, and we are just about 1% behind on the building fund. So thank you so much for all your generous donations that go towards helping FCC continue to do our ministry and reach out to people. 
Um, so I, I wanted to put this up here because this shows that one way you can give that we definitely encourage you to give, especially for those who give regularly, is by direct debit or standing instruction. So you can see our two bank accounts there, the general fund and the building fund. The general fund goes towards our staff salaries and our sort of day-to-day -day expenses. And the building fund goes towards the mortgage on our property here. So if you are someone who gives regularly, you know, weekly or monthly, we encourage you to set up a recurring donation or standing instruction so that you can actually just decide at the beginning of the year how much you want to set aside for your income to help us. And then after that, you can just sort of just forget about it and let the donation come to us uh, without having to go through that every week. So I'll leave those two numbers up there for a little while in case you want to take a snapshot of that. Um, or you can, of course, use PayNow. If you're on site, the QR codes are in the back of the chair in front of you. Um, so now let's please join me as we pray for the offering. Dear God, you've given us so much. You've given us yourself in the person of Jesus, who reflects your love, your generosity, and your grace to all of us. You've given us this community that's a safe space for us to come with our questions, our doubts, our joys, and our sorrows to worship you here freely. And we pray that you'll help us, help FCC to continue to provide this space for all people, that more may come to know you and your love. Bless this offering, bless the generosity of the hearts of all the people who give, and help us use it wisely for the extension of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. And I now invite the stewards to come forward to take up the offering. So if you're here on site and you would like to drop some cash in the bag, please raise your hand and the stewards will come to you. I should also mention that you can give by credit card at give.freecomchurch.give.asia. And so while the stewards are going around, we have only one announcement today. And that's, uh, again, a call for anyone who's interested in seeing what the board does. You can join us at the next One Ship meeting, which will be on 11th of June. And we call it the One Ship meeting because it's when we gather all the leaders of the church so that this, this uh, organization with all its different moving parts and pieces can move together as one ship. So we all get together in a room and talk about basically what are the plans and things that are going on. And if you'd like to be a part of that and maybe even consider being a board member, you can come and observe the meeting and um, email info at freecomchurch.org if you'd like to join. This is only open to FCC members. So now I'd like to invite Pastor Pauline to give us the benediction. And now, I invite you to stand as you are willing and able to receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make God's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up God's countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for our service today. Uh, most welcome to come join us again next week uh, on subsequent weeks. And in the meantime, uh, have a blessed week ahead, okay?